Welcome, you're on air with Ella, where we share simple strategies and truths from people who are doing something better than we are. Whether it's wellness or fitness and fat loss to just living better and with more energy or changing your mindset to accomplish more in your own life and succeeding however you define it. This is where we share the best of what we're learning from the experts and we're learning more every day. Live better, start now. Hey everyone, you're on air with Ella, and today we are joined by guest Larissa Carlson. Hey Larissa, how are you? Hey, good morning, I'm doing great. Larissa, I've wanted to have you on for ages because I have been studying just tidbits, just barely scratching the surface of Ayurveda, and I only know like the tiniest amount to be dangerous. And I know a lot of people like, we read about Ayurveda in blogs and Mind Body Green or the latest diet is you should be paying attention to your dosha. I don't even know if I'm saying that right. <laughs> yeah, you are. But I, have, I honestly, like at the end of the day, Larissa, I have no idea what I'm talking about. So we searched high and low for the perfect person to come on the air and educate us on Ayurveda 101. And I know that you're an Ayurvedic practitioner. Am I saying that right, Larissa? That's right. Ayurveda. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you're a practitioner, an advanced yoga teacher. I know you're a mindfulness teacher. I know you're a lot of things. But Larissa, will you tell everybody who you are and what you do? Absolutely. Thanks, Ella. I have been teaching yoga for over a dozen years. I direct yoga teacher trainings. My specialties are pranayama, yogic breathing practices, as well as using yoga to balance the Ayurvedic doshas. And we'll, we'll get into the doshas. Uh, I also focus on stress reduction. So using yoga postures, breathing practices, and mindfulness techniques to reduce stress, to enhance awareness, to support overall health, wellness, um, fitness of the body and the mind. And I travel a lot to do that. And you'll see a lot of my work in Mind Body Green and Yoga Journal and Shape and Men's Journal and all over the place, uh, just spreading as much as I can the sustainable, simple, useful, valuable practices of yoga, Ayurveda, and mindfulness. Well, I want to learn so much more about that. And just listening to you explain that, like I calmed down by about 10 heartbeats a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Larissa, the first thing that I want to do is level set. The way that I want to do that is just to understand kind of at like a 30,000 foot level, what is Ayurveda? Because some people think it's a diet and some people think, and it's, it's so, so much more than that. Can you t give us an overview as to sort of where it came from and what it is? So Ayurveda is translated as the science of life, the science of life. It's a vast, enormous, deep, rich science, very much like Chinese medicine or Tibetan medicine. Ayurveda is like Indian naturopathy. It comes from India. It's the sister science to yoga, and it covers everything from diet and lifestyle to massage therapy, herbology, um, Ayurvedic psychology, Ayurvedic surgery. It takes care of uh, prenatal care all the way to geriatric care. It's huge. Ayurveda really focuses on giving us practices to live in harmony with nature how to eat with the seasons, how to eat for our personal constitution, helping us to identify the best fitness practices to take care of our individual needs. And that changes based not only on the season of the year, but also on the time of day and the season of life. So Ayurveda gives many, many tips for self-care and for overall wellness and health, but also very much as a science that 
helps individuals to maintain health and prevent disease. I think the sister science to yoga, which I'd never heard that explanation before, Larissa, and Indian naturopathy, those are the two best definitions I have ever heard. (laughs) Because it is so much more than what you eat or so much more than taking turmeric when you need to reduce inflammation. And And that is what popular media would have you boil it down to. So thank you so much for that beautiful overview. Larissa, why do you think we're hearing so much more about Ayurveda now? Is it just because of like the globalization of the entire planet? Is it because yoga has absolutely exploded? Why do I read about Ayurveda every time I open the internets? Great question, Ella. Ayurveda is starting to show up in the mainstream, just like yoga was doing 10, 15, 20 years ago. And because Ayurveda and yoga both stem from the wisdom texts of India, they both come from the Vedas, these four um, ancient texts that are basically like life's little instruction books. And they give us all the practices that we need to uh, live in harmony with nature. They give us the practices of uh, yoga asana and pranayama and meditation, as well as how to take care of the system off the mat or off the meditation cushion, as it were. And so when yoga came over to the States, it came over kind of piecemeal. And people started doing more stretching, learning about sequencing, and uh, really understanding the benefits of using yoga to enhance balance, flexibility, strength, to reduce stress, to enhance coordination, and all the other benefits that we know about in yoga. And a lot of the asanas, a lot of the postures, they actually came from Indian dance, ancient Indian dance practices, as well as martial arts. And yeah, and that's why we have the warrior postures and the dancer posture and all of these these postures that were actually used in other um, traditions. And so Americans really took to those practices that built flexibility and strength and improved balance. And so it was very much a, a fitness practice, an exercise practice with a meditative feel. It really helped people to feel more centered, to feel more grounded, to be more content. And so we got some of the the afterglow or the after effects of the asana without going into the deeper states of yoga by adding the breath work and the meditation. And nowadays we're starting to get more and more of that. And this is just the natural, it's the natural path. You know, people start with what's familiar and uh, practices that bring immediate benefit. And then once they build up a familiarity and intimacy with those practices, then they become ready for the deeper practices. Okay, so where does Ayurveda then come in here? Well, it's the same journey for Ayurveda. So we eat every day and Ayurveda gives us specific tips to have improved digestion, to get the most nourishment out of our meals, to align our diet with the seasonal harvest. And so it's totally natural that nowadays we're hearing about the Ayurvedic diet and also starting to hear about the Ayurvedic herbs like turmeric, which is an anti-inflammatory herb um, or spice. 
And people are using these practices uh, and starting to get into Ayurveda because we're unfortunately a really unhealthy culture. And the soaring prices of medical treatment in the States is just making uh, treatment unavailable to so many people. And unfortunately, some of the treatments that are available are just not doing enough. They don't get to the root cause to the to the real problem, which is people being disconnected from how to live, how to eat, how to exercise appropriately, how to get good sleep. And so even though allopathic medicine is incredibly useful and um, has so many benefits to it, it doesn't give us generally the lifestyle practices that Ayurveda does. So we're starting to see the diet and lifestyle practices come into Ayurvedic spas. You know, you can get Ayurvedic massages um, with Ayurvedic herbals in pretty much any high quality spa across the country, because that's a really easy entry point for people. And they're starting to get the benefit there. And we're seeing Ayurveda show up in tea houses and coffee shops and natural markets because that's another really easy place for people to start to adjust, just make simple changes to their uh, shopping choices, uh, to their self-care choices that really have big impact. So what is sort of the root or the unifying element that makes something Ayurvedic? Do you know what I mean? Like if some Somebody says, oh, this is an Ayurvedic tea or this is an Ayurvedic massage. And I'm pretty sure that every time I say Ayurveda that I'm pronouncing it differently. (laughs) If you guys would all just humor me, it's not the easiest word in the world. So in any case, thanks for humoring me. But what makes something at its root Ayurvedic? According to Ayurveda, everything is Ayurveda. So that makes it more confusing. Starbucks is not Ayurveda. (laughs) If Starbucks comes out with an Ayurveda, I can't say it. Ayurvedic. Yeah, Ayurvedic latte. No, I'm not having it. (laughs) That is a marketing ploy. (laughs) Well, here's, here's the thing. Anything can be a medicine or a poison. Any substance, any activity, uh, any interaction can be a medicine or a poison. What makes something Ayurvedic is understanding the qualities of the substance or the activity and skillfully matching up the qualities with what the individual needs at that particular time. And that, that's one thing I find very attractive about this whole science and art is that it is entirely based around the individual. I understand there are unifying principles, obviously, but at the end of the day, it's about the individual and what that person needs when they need it. Is that, is that fair? That's exactly right. So, so a cup of organic coffee could be a medicine or a poison for someone, depending on what they're dealing with on any particular day. For me, some days, just a quarter cup of organic coffee is just the right dosage. And on other days, I need less, I need more, you know, it, it gets adjusted with spices, I can add cardamom to the coffee or add cinnamon to the coffee, I can add maple syrup to the coffee, and all of those things will adjust the effect of the coffee. And so Ayurveda doesn't judge any activity or diet choice. Ayurveda doesn't judge things as being good or bad. Ayurveda recognizes the qualities of the substance, the qualities in the individual at that moment, and identifies whether there's an appropriate match or not. 
Well, something that I want to acknowledge is that becoming an Ayurvedic teacher and practitioner, it takes years of study. It's not some internet course that you can take and 30 days later, there you go. And with that in mind, though, I want to recognize that and then also ask you for our crash course. (laughs) Because Larissa, I think that if we start talking about this in terms of the three doshas and in terms of nutritional support and other practices for self-care, I think it'll really hit home for people. So the first thing I would love for you to do is to explain the doshas. I know this, I'm sure I'll mispronounce them, but vata, pitta, and kapha. How'd I do? Pretty good. Vata, vata. pitta, mm-hmm. and kapha. Oh, for Pete's sake. <laughs> Not even close, but you're sweet. You're close. <laughs> okay. So vata, pitta, and kapha, which just for the record is spelled like kapha. That's right. And if we were to get really um, specific with the Sanskrit pronunciation, it's kapha. I mean, that's just not even happening. (laughs) (laughs) So humor me. I will stop calling it like it's practically a sorority and I will call it kapha. So kapha, pitta, and kapha. Kapha, pitta, and vata. (laughs) Forget it. You do the talking. (laughs) So... Ayurveda recognizes that everything in this manifestation, everything in the world, all matter is made up of five elements. And the five elements are ether or space, air, which is also described as wind, fire, water, and earth. So ether, air, fire, water, and earth. And so everything in the universe is considered to be made up of these five elements. So I have all five elements, you have all five elements, but we each have them in different proportions. Now, the five elements, they join together in functional integrity to form the three doshas. And the doshas are energies that perform certain tasks in the macrocosm of nature, in the environment, in the weather, and in the microcosm of the body-mind, in the individual body-mind. So everyone has all five elements, everyone has all three doshas, but we all have a different individual recipe, an individual makeup. Some people are more fiery. They run hot. They talk fast. They get things done. You know, they burn through things. They can eat a lot and metabolize it well. Others are more airy and they have a lot of movement or momentum to them. So they uh, are big thinkers, very creative and always on the move. Some people much more earthy, really grounded and reliable and stable. And so we all have our individual recipe. And Ayurveda would say that we're given our own individual doshic makeup or doshic constitution in order to get our work done in the world. So we all have our perfect body type to do what we're meant to do in the world, to do our dharma, as it were. And so I think that's incredibly special because we're given a particular vessel to do our work in the world. Now, vata, pitta, and kapha are three different energies, and uh, they work together to give us an experience uh, of nature and to run the body, to run the body. So vata dosha is made of ether and air, of space and wind. So it has no substance. And it's all—it's a dosha that has qualities of being cold, because there's no fire, dry, because there's no water, and light, because there's no earth element in the vata dosha. And so vata dosha is all about movement. Its main function in 
the body and mind is, is movement. So everything in the body and mind that moves is governed by vata, the movement of breath in and out, the movement of the vocal cords for speech, the chewing, swallowing, the movement of food through the digestive tract, the elimination of waste, the pulsing of the heart, the circulation of the blood, the movement of nerve impulses through the nervous system, and even the movements of thoughts through the mind. Anything that moves is governed by vata. So what we want is that all movement is happening gracefully and with ease and comfort. And when something has gone awry, when something has spoiled or vitiated, then we see a, a lack of clear movement or good movement. And that would be a, a vitiation of vata dosha. How does knowing this help somebody? Because what I, what I understand at my very basic level is that you can actually determine your primary dosha or like your key, the one that relates to you the most. And then we all have a little bit of everything you said. We all have, we all have our own unique combination of the five elements, mm -hmm. but the three doshas, don't we gravitate toward one versus the other? Is that, is that correct? That's right. So there's two main things that we look at. Everyone has all three doshas and uh, we need them all. Doshas are not good or bad. Right. They're either they're either harmonized or out of balance. Um, but we have all three and uh, they're all important. And so generally when we approach Ayurveda, uh, beginning Ayurvedic um, exploration, uh, usually doesn't go to the level of trying to uh, identify someone's main constitution, like which dosha is highest. Um, but mostly what we do is the broad strokes first. So how do we balance the three doshas? How do we get them into harmony first? How do we live in harmony with the seasons? How do we live in harmony with the times of day, uh, the seasons of life? And then usually a lot of the surface suffering starts to disappear when we get on track with an Ayurvedic lifestyle. And then we can go into identifying individual constitution and deal with chronic or stubborn conditions. Okay, so I want to understand how this actually works, for lack of a better way to say it. But first, I want—I definitely want you to be able to explain all three to us. Great. So vata dosha governs everything that moves in the system. And if something's not moving well, then vata has spoiled in some way. For instance, if the breath is not moving well, if there's hiccups or coughing, if digestion's not moving well, if there's constipation, if the mind is not uh, moving gracefully, if there's forgetfulness, then we know that vitiation has happened in the vata dosha, and that can happen for any of us. Now, vata dosha governs the season where it's windy and cold, the season that I'm in right now in Washington, D.C. It's about zero degrees oh, outside right now. It's freezing, and it's vata season. It's windy and cold outside. And so this is the, the vata season for all of us. We're all affected by the weather, by the temperature outside. When um, a dosha gets out of balance, when a dosha gets aggravated, it happens because we get an excess of the elements that make up the dosha. We get an excess of oh. the qualities. Yeah, we get an excess of the qualities that make up the dosha. So if I get too much dryness, too much coldness coming into my system because of weather or because of diet choices, then my vata will increase. And when the vata increases, the vata gets vitiated, spoiled, aggravated, and it starts to cause suffering. My vata is totally aggravated right now. <laughs> As is, you know, the vata for most people in the West right now. <laughs> it's 
But yeah. So, so for instance, if, if it's, it's cold and dry outside right now. And so Ayurveda prevents doshic imbalance by using opposite qualities in diet and lifestyle during the season. So it's cold and dry outside. Ayurveda says eat warm, wet food during the cold, dry season for everybody, no matter what someone's okay. main constitution is. It's zero degrees out and windy. It's not time for ice cream and ice tea. It's not a raw diet time of year. It's not raw diet time. A raw juice is too cold right now. It's too light. And so Ayurveda would say, nature gives us the antidote to every season. The harvest of the season gives us foods full of the opposite qualities to the season. So the harvest for the fall and winter happened in the fall, and it was full of pumpkins and mushrooms and wheat and um, nuts and meat is traditionally uh, used in this season because all those foods have juicy, heavy, oily, rich qualities to balance the cold, dry vata season of winter. So Ayurveda would say, eat the seasonal harvest. It's time for, for soup and stew and pumpkin pie and warm apple cider and warm teas because all of those foods have the opposite quality to the season. Now, if I were to all cold season long eat rice cakes and um, popcorn and crackers and ice cream and juices, which are all cold and dry and light, if I were to do that all season, the qualities would stack and it would be cold and dry outside. I'd be eating too many cold and dry foods, and then my body would become excessively cold and dry. I would get dry skin, dry hair, dry nails, dry lips, dry bowels, which show up as constipation. I would feel excess vata in all of those ways. And so Ayurveda says prevent that by eating with the season, with the seasonal harvest, and then adjust to the season, uh, adjusting the self-care practices, like if it's cold and dry out, put on warm wet oil, you know, doing self-massage with a heavy warm oil like sesame oil or a nice herbalized oil. It hydrates the skin. It's It nourishes the system during this cold, dry season. Ayurveda would also adjust the fitness practice. Right now, it's not time for really drying exercise routines. Like what? what you- Give me an example of what that would be. Like really intense spin class, doing really, really long runs, going for really, really intense vinyasa that dries out the system or jacks up the nervous system. So just real quickly, in the winter, examples, a couple of examples of good ways to move your body would be what? One would be to practice in a warm environment. So a nice, uh, like mildly heated room and practicing slow vinyasa. So um, if we're staying with yoga practice, then doing a yoga asana flow that's very fluid and rhythmic and warming without it being overly stimulating. So we don't want to be dripping wet, exhausted at the end of a practice during the winter. We want to have really a good full body practice that... um, gives a nice warming glow to the system without exhausting or drying out. What season would spring be? Well, spring is kapha season. So the kapha season is the time for the really fast vinyasa and going for really intense runs, long spin classes, really intense workouts in the gym. Because kapha season in the spring is the season of water and earth. 
Kapha is like mud or like muddy water. And its qualities are heavy and wet and slow and sticky and soft and and cloudy, just like mud. And so we all have kapha. Kapha governs uh, the lubrication in the body, like the synovial fluid and the cerebrospinal fluid, uh, the saliva in the mouth, the mucosa that lines the lungs and the stomach, protecting the lungs and the stomach and such. So kapha is a really juicy dosha. And it and it's like a bodyguard. It's like a buffer. It really protects the body from vata and pitta, which are and more omnipresent doshas. They they move around the body a lot and, and kapha protects us from them. Now in the spring, so we all have kapha, we all have kapha lubricating the body. Um, but in the spring, when it changes from the kind of light snow to the heavy sleet, when it changes to freezing rain, when it moves from frozen ice to slush, that's the beginning of kapha season, that cold wet instead of the instead of the cold dry vata season. So in that season of of spring, uh, we tend to get bogged down. That muddy, rainy season, we tend to feel really congested, lethargic, sluggish, heavy, because it's cold and wet and damp outside. And we're all affected by nature and by the weather. Again, Ayurveda would say that nature gives us the antidote in the seasonal harvest. Uh, what starts sprouting up out of the, the garden are all the bitters and the astringent foods. We get sprouts and dandelion greens and mustard greens and Swiss chard and kale. It's all green. You know, we're not getting pumpkins in the spring. We're not getting, um, you know, a lot of heavy root vegetables in the spring. We're getting light, antioxidant-rich, scraping foods that help pull away the mucus during that kapha season, that wet, damp season. So Ayurveda would say that for all of us, we should be adjusting in the spring to the lighter foods. That's the time to be eating pretty much any green that you can find, you know, like um, bok choy, um, asparagus, broccoli, celery, you name it. If it's green, put it in a green soup, put it in a clear broth. We want to have warm, light foods in the spring to balance the cold, heavy season. It's not really time for salads yet. We still want steamed uh, greens, sauteed greens, roasted greens, greens and soups, um, you know, a lot of that, but um, not going for cold salad yet because it's still a cold season. By this logic, it is totally justifying my desire and habit of eating just boundless amounts of fruit in the summer. <laughs> sure, exactly. I love You're it. right on. <laughs> well, and, and something that I want to draw a connection to here, Larissa, is I often talk about how we need to recognize that we go through seasons, and I mean it slightly more metaphorically. And I think one thing that we do a lot is we try to adhere to an eating lifestyle. And I like to point out that we go through seasons. So in one season, something might work for you. In another season, it might not. And we need to allow ourselves the grace to understand that and, and honor that. And what you're saying is really like making this more granular and saying, no, 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 we literally go through seasons. Right. <laughs> and it makes sense when you say it. And so many of us, if we were really super, super in tune or paying attention, we would feel it. But what I do struggle with is the notion that in one season, like I can't have a certain thing because it's not the right season. Help me with that sort of deprivation mentality. 
Mm-hmm. We really focus on what foods to favor in each season, what foods to eat more of in each season. We focus less on depriving, you know. And so think about it as an 80-20% rule. So 80% of the foods eaten during a season should be seasonal. If it's cold out, the foods 80% of the time should be warm. If it's damp out, the foods 80% of the time should be light and scraping and cleansing. Yeah. Or if it's hot, the food should be more cool 80% of the time. But you have, you know, a 20% wiggle room. So, you know, even in the middle of winter, I'm eating 80 or probably 90% of my foods are cooked. But I'll certainly have a salad here and there. I'll definitely have a juice here and there. I'll have some cold fruit now and then. That's not a problem as long as the majority of my foods are seasonal and balancing. Okay, so it's in balance, and it's it's about a ratio where the majority of the time you are eating the things that are in season and that nature provided for you to be much more in balance. And it's cheaper, too. I mean, everything that's on season is on sale. Yeah. And so if you go into your natural food market or the local grocery store, whatever is in a big pyramid right in your face on sale, <laughs> that is in season. You know, So buy that. It's cheaper. It's more economical. It's more accessible for people to eat in season, to eat Ayurvedically. So we all want to be in balance. We all want to generally be in tune with the seasons in which we are living, what we are experiencing. Then what is the role of the doshas on an individual level? And I understand what you're saying. You're saying that doesn't come first, but I still want to know. So I'm more fiery and I'm not airy and I am not ether. That is for damn sure. And I know, (laughs) I know, Larissa, I have those elements. It's just that they're turned way down. (laughs) Way down. Okay. So how do I make use of that knowledge? This is a great question. So essentially, what we all want to do is live in harmony with the seasonal changes, just like we change our clothes based on the weather, based on the seasons. We want to change our diet and adjust our exercise a little bit based on the seasons. So that's all preventative and um, ensures the maintenance of health okay. and the prevention of, prevention of disease. Step two is identifying one's personal constitution. So just like you're saying, you're mostly fiery, which would be pitta dosha. Pitta is made of fire and water. So it's the it's the fiery dosha that governs digestion and transformation in the body and mind. The digestion of physical food, transforming food into biologically useful product, turning what we eat into who we are, into bodily tissues. And pitta also digests information, helps us to understand it, to make sense of it, to learn from it, to move forward and progress. So you have a lot of fire. I have a lot of fire. I am a, a pitta dominant person, even though I have all three doshas. Oh, just, see, because just you like sound you. so ethereal. <laughs> <laughs> you sound well, so calm and lovely. <laughs> because I've I've worked so hard to uh, to balance the pitta. This is okay. the thing: is to not let the fire uh, uh, burn me up. Yeah, I haven't done that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's a challenge, I tell you. And so the main thing is to, when identifying one's constitution, then giving extra care all year long to the major triggers for that dosha. So because we're talking about pitta, pitta's fiery. So all year long, a pitta dominant person like yourself would really need to be mindful of excess fire in the diet. So that would be fiery things like coffee, alcohol, uh, sugar, 
fried foods, all the acidic foods, all the nightshades like tomato, garlic, onion, bell peppers, potatoes, and the citrus like grapefruit and lemon. Those are sour. And so those sour and salty and really pungent, spicy, oily, fried foods, they increase pitta. Now, they're not good or bad. They just have the same qualities as pitta. And it's so all about the balance. That's what I'm It's all about the balance. So a pitta person in the summer season, when it's hot and wet outside, hot and humid outside, pitta people have to be really, really careful to not overdo the fire in the summer. And so lots of juices, lots of salads, lots of ice cream, you know, it's the colder, colder stuff. But even in the season of winter or in the spring, when it's not dominated by fire, a pitta person still has to always be mindful of what's happening with the fire. So for me, I can digest in the winter a little bit of coffee. But if I have too much, my fire will go up. I could get acid reflux. I could feel angry. I could have burning red eyes. I could have a short temper. I could feel irritated. Um, I could get acne, um, skin rashes, diarrhea, um, all these kind of fiery conditions. So I can, I can basically, I can take a a higher dosage of fiery foods in the winter. Like now's the time in the winter where, where I can have some fried food. I can have a little coffee. Um, I can do some pungent spicy foods, you know, like now's when I can have an eggplant Parmesan, you know, and a, and a shot of tequila. But, um, but I can't, I can't do that in the summer because it's hot outside. Those foods are really hot and I'm made of a lot of fire. So it just overflows. How can Ayurveda help people with specific conditions like insomnia or digestive challenges, which you've mentioned, or allergies? Like if people are suffering from a condition, Larissa, where would you recommend that they even start with this journey? Yeah. Well, the the first step would be to simplify when there's a complicated situation, when there's suffering, when there's a, some kind of discomfort or disease, the main thing to do is simplify. So to simplify the diet, to simplify the lifestyle. And so that would be getting in harmony with the seasonal diet and getting support from a certified Ayurvedic health counselor or Ayurvedic practitioner. And so he or she could help the individual to really identify what are the triggers, what are the root causes for the condition, and um, identify simple, sustainable practices to help the individual get back on track the quickest, most effective way. So this is a journey. This is not go buy some Ayurvedic tea. This is not, I mean, get a massage by all means and enjoy your tea. But what I mean is if you truly want to seek balance or seek help with a condition that nothing else has helped, this would be really a very interesting path to start pursuing, but it's a path. It's not a magic bullet. I want to be just super clear about that because this is a real lifestyle and mindset shift from everything that we're learning. That's right. How long have you been on this journey? I'm so interested in your own journey. Well, I first discovered Ayurveda in a spa, uh, getting a, a massage, an Ayurvedic massage, and that was about 14 years ago. And I was hooked right away. I loved it. I loved the smell of the Ayurvedic herbs. I loved the, I had a treatment that was 
detoxifying. It was an exfoliation scrub followed by a stream of warm oil poured over the forehead, which is basically like instant meditation. So um, yeah, it's called Shiradhara. It is fantastic. So I fell in love with Ayurveda right away. I got an Ayurvedic consultation almost immediately. And I've been studying Ayurveda ever since, very formally for the last dozen years or so. Okay, Larissa, wow, time is running short. But before I let you go, I want to know, can you just describe to us what we average Joes could do? Like if this is something we're interested in and we want to maybe dabble in it or see if there's something here for us or this conversation resonates with us, but we have no idea where to start. Like, what does that journey look like for the people that you work with? Ayurveda is accessible to all. It's the science of life. There's a way in for everyone, a way in that is affordable, that is sustainable, that's safe, that's effective. And so I just see people, you know, I'm I'm visualizing all my students right now and just seeing them glowing and radiating with with health and wellness, with contentment, improved happiness and clarity, sense of groundedness. And my life has changed dramatically through Ayurveda. Uh, It's been really turned around. You know, with yoga and Ayurveda, I shifted from corporate life. I was a controller. I ran a finance department in New York for many years and uh, shifted out of a really stressful, intense, competitive environment into a lifestyle and a career that is uh, fulfilling and also intense and keeps me on the go. But it's all about health and wellness and supporting people, helping people to find just the right technique for them at that point in the journey so that they can open up to a whole new way of living. You know, people get so used to discomfort that they actually start to write it off as just the way life is. People will say like, oh, I always get acid reflux, or I'm a bad sleeper, or I get headaches all the time, or I'm constantly, you know, I'm, I'm constipated. You know, people will, they, and they get used to it. And there's so much discomfort and suffering that can be alleviated with really simple practices. And I've seen that over and over again in my one-on-one clients, in my students, uh, in my workshop participants and retreat participants, um, even in people who I've reached through online courses and magazine articles, people write me and email me and reach out to me all the time to share their success stories. So what I would say is that for the average person, coming to Ayurveda, just know that it is, it's doable. It's doable. You can change your habits with very little effort. It's really for everyone. Larissa, I thank you so much for your time. I know we've just barely scratched the surface here, but this is so much more than I knew 40 minutes ago. (laughs) (laughs) I know you hold live events. I know you have courses for people who want to learn more. I'm going to link to every bit of that. And I think you've even given me a coupon code, Larissa. So I will share that with everybody. They know to just go to this episode on onairwithella.com and they will get links to all of that so that they can come experience you in person or jump on your online online course. Is that right? Do you want to tell them about that? That's right. It's called Ayurveda 101 through Yoga Journal. And it's an online course that is three seasonal courses within a year. And so one for Vata, one for Pitta, and one for Kapha. And it includes diet, lifestyle, self-care, yoga asana, yoga pranayama, yoga meditation practices to meet the needs of the season. 
Larissa, I thank you so much. I'm already just, I'm just calmer having had this conversation <laughs> with you. <laughs> just keep spreading that love. Larissa, thanks so much. You're so welcome. Take care. Okay, everyone, I hope you enjoyed today's show and got something out of it that you can use. If you did and you want to learn more, just go to onairwithella.com where I put up links to all of the good stuff that we talked about today and more information about our guests and all the good stuff that you did not need to write down today because I got you covered. Don't forget to join our Facebook page and thanks for those phenomenal reviews in iTunes. Every great review helps and we read every one. Thanks for listening and thanks for inspiring me. You are quite simply awesome.